Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the bluest room in town. Yeah, actually funny. It is the Blue Room, it is your weekly show, and Everton are back in action this weekend before there's an international break and there's two weeks off for the lads anyway. Um, but yeah, we can cherish this weekend at least. Uh, the lads in action are home to West Ham, the girls away at West Ham, uh, WSL kicks off as well after a week delay, um, but it's all going on this weekend and joining me to go through it all, Alan Vahili. Alan, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Still reading from the uh, departure of the Queen and all that kind of thing, like, but uh, but doing okay otherwise, you know. Absolutely, mate. Sarah Halpin, how are you? All good, mate. Uh, like we were just saying, delighted to that the football's going to be back this weekend. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting stuck in. And as you say, two two games against the Hammers. So hopefully we can uh, have a have a decent weekend. Yeah, and uh, Mick Green all as well. I imagine it was just a normal weekend for you, mate, because you watch all kinds of European footy and, and mad teams anyway, don't you? So it all just went ahead as planned. Yeah, I was just thinking about, oh, what can I say about, you know, missing the football or anything? And then, you know, I actually thought about what I did last weekend and I still just watch football, so it made no <laughs> difference. <laughs> Fair enough. It was it was like that um, last weekend. Was, it reminded me a little bit of that. Do you know when the, the Bundesliga came back after? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Like, right, yeah. everyone's got to watch this this league because there's no other footy for a while, and I sort of found myself trying to watch a, a bit of everything. But um, but yeah, it has been, it has been a, a weird few days. Um, we'll get into that in a bit. Of course, we'll get into West Ham as well, um, and we'll speak about Everton's midfield, which I think is really interesting at the moment. Uh, I'm sure everybody here has seen. The Alex Awobi interview from his house. Um, bless him. What a what a great segment that was. Uh, we we're speaking about him and Amadou Anana as well. But just be interested to get everyone's thoughts first and foremost on, on what's happened over the last week or so. Obviously, it was a week ago today that it was confirmed that the Queen had died. The day after, it was confirmed that all football 
be it Premier League matches between Man City and Tottenham or your local under nines game has been called off. Um, obviously, it's sort of, sort of moved on from it all a, a bit now, Alan. And I know you're not, you're out of the country, mate, and maybe you know I haven't been immersed in it and found it. I don't know. Maybe I found it quite as weird as we all have. But it just, you know, it just felt like a bit of a missed opportunity, didn't it, for football in this country to sort of you know, regardless of what you think of the monarchy and the royal family, et cetera, et cetera, to sort of come together and, and pay respects last weekend. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like you said, I'm Irish, like, so it doesn't really affect me in the same way. Um, But, like, I think it is a historical moment for sure. And I don't understand why they had to postpone all the games because of it. Like, you know, I just think while that's obviously important to the British nation, I get that. I get the importance, even if you're not a royalist. But I just think that, you know, having all the pundits on TV wearing black ties, getting the coaches to wear black suits, taking away the Champions League logo from the centre circle, not playing the Champions League anthem, it just seems a bit over the top for me. I think you could have done a really nice, like, minute silence or minute applause or whatever, some sort of remem- remembrance at the game itself and not had to, you know, disrupt British football as we know it in the process of doing so I just don't get it you know it's kind of basically forcing people to mourn forcing people to, into misery taking away you know maybe their only outlet of joy at the weekend it just doesn't make sense to me you know um but yeah I guess it was always going to be a difficult thing to kind of get a handle on difficult thing to kind of you know do properly and there was always fears that people could you know ruin minutes silences and stuff like that I get that I get the complexity of the decision but um it's been definitely dis- a bit strange for me to watch it from the outside, from a you know foreigner's perspective, and to kind of see the hysteria it generates in some people, both on both sides, you know, because at the end of the day, it is a little lady who's died, like so. It's kind of weird to see some people rejoice in her death. At the same time, it's weird to see people queuing up from five in the morning this morning to kind of you know pay respects. So yeah, I find it kind of interesting the whole thing as an outsider. It's kind of definitely uh, a good insight into British psychology, British culture. But um, I'm very glad the Premier League is back because um, even though, like Mike, I enjoy watching other leagues too, but there's nothing quite like the Premier League. So I'm very much looking forward to watching Everton at the weekend. My, my optimism has been restored completely. I'm now foolishly optimistic. So I look forward to be disappointed on Sunday again. That always happens when we don't play, isn't it? It's yeah. like, we're going to come back and be amazing. All the, it's absolutely it's absence with the hardcore founder. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. being away from your partner for ages. Like you kind of <laughs> become more and more glorious by, by, by comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sarah and Mick as well. I don't know how you, you felt about the whole thing, but, you know, Sarah, there will be people who, who go into the, the ground this weekend who, who will be cut up about it and will we'll feel sad about the whole thing. And, you know, it would have had an impact on, but, you know, even then, you know, you sort of think back to momentous things that have happened that, you know, certainly in, in my life and things that have affected us as sort of as a nation. You kind of want to be around people, don't you, and, and surround yourself with people and certainly like-minded people who've got a similar cause to you as well. So I think that's sort of why it felt like a, a bit premature to me, certainly to, to, to postpone games, but absolutely to postpone every single game up and down the country. You know, I, I don't know what the expected kids to do you know sit at home watch war-to-war coverage on bbc of just pundits saying the same thing over and over again it, it just felt like a, a bit too much yeah I, I think so it's it's been tough and as you rightly say you know for so many of us the football is the thing that we get through the week for you know we look forward to going the game watching football whatever it is we do seeing our friends surrounding the football it's the whole social side of things as well as you say we all sort of come together see all our mates see all our family go to game and, and everything that comes with that. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I understand that people are, are, are upset and it affects everybody in different ways. I, 
I've just kind of been getting on with stuff because, as you say, every every television channel, every everything you see is about it, and you know it. I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful or anything like that, of course. But I like um, Alan. You know, I'm just so so happy that it that it's coming back. And you say I think rugby continued and and various other sporting events and things like that. Well, everyday life's continued, hasn't it? You know, we've all well, got works and stuff. Yeah. That that's the sort of thing. So it just seemed a bit strange that it was just you know the football and as you say the Champions League theme tune not being played and stuff. And I understand is it going to be compulsory this this weekend that there's going to be um, the the national anthem and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, silence. The is it a minute silence? And then I think the Premier League in the statement said fans are quote encouraged to show support for the Queen's seventy year reign on the seventieth minutes with a uh, round of applause. See, but then I'm looking at that and thinking, could we not have done that this weekend? But yeah. it's, you know what I mean? Like, but it's going to be back. And as you say, um, I think for, for everybody, even though it was going to be a really tough game for the for the men's team away at Arsenal, in some ways, I was thinking on Sunday, I was complaining, going, I have no football. And then I thought, do you know what? I could have, been, could have been sat here fuming. Um, but I was looking forward to the game for the women as well. We were going to be starting the season against Leicester. I think they sold out Watton Hall Park, so. It's disappointing, but really, really made up that it's going to be back this weekend. We'll also have Pickford back for the game at the Emirates, you know, so every cloud is a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mick, what, what have you made of it all? Mate? Certainly from, from a societal and social point of view, but as Alan mentioned there in regards to, to Everton, do you feel as though maybe not playing that game has seen us lose a bit of momentum we built up from the derby? Or do you look at it a bit more in the sense of Pickford will be back? Garner will be further down the line in terms of fitness, Decore, DCL as well. You know, that's us assuming probably very foolishly that Everton won't get more injuries between now and then, of course. I think, I think firstly, from, um, like you mentioned, the societal perspective, I, I've got to echo everything Sarah just said, Then I think it's been a very surreal couple of days. Um, I definitely disagreed with the decision to postpone the football last weekend. And I think there was a bit of a, Bit of an underlying and underlying meaning to, to why that was decided when you compare that rugby and, and cricket still went on. And I think it was kind of mentioned in certain articles that there was um, a fear that football wouldn't react or wouldn't pay its respects in the same way. And I think, in fairness to the English sides and, and European football this week, I think they proved that that was, uh, you know, a very out of date, um, you, know, you know, thought process really. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I, th- I think all that needed really, and I think it was the same with this, this weekend, I think even then it's probably taken a step too far. I think, uh, you know, a, moment, a minute of silence would have been would have been justifiable. I don't think, you know, from what I'm aware, obviously I don't know her personally, I don't think she was that, that much into football. I know she was quite a sporty person, but I don't think football was right up there. Would have been some revelation but, if you were in, into her, if you didn't know her personally, you know. She's a big Alex Awobi fan, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think she was, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in terms of that, I, I, I did think the decision was a bit iffy. Um, but then echoing what what Alan said as well, I, I, I do think it probably did benefit Everton more than anything. I think going to to Arsenal away when you've you know not won a game and after six is probably not the the, the fixture you want, especially compared to any alternative is another week of being able to get players back fit and then a home game against West Ham which 
you know, although West Ham were a very good side and we don't have the, the best records against them, I don't think we did like it. Did they beat us twice last year? I think they did. Yeah, they've, they've, we used to always beat them, didn't we? And last, I think they won three of the last four at Goodison. Yeah. Um, I still think you'd see that as a, you know, a bit more of a, an optimistic fixture in comparison. And, and, and like like Alan said, with Pickford back, for, well, you'd, you'd hope so for, for whenever the Arsenal game will, will get, you know, rearranged, I think. So on Sky Sports News, that if like Arsenal, obviously, a club in European competition, if they go to, you know, the, the far ends of the competition, which you'd expect them to be as they're in the Europa League and probably get to, you know, the, the latter stages of the, the FA Cup and the, the the League Cup as well. I think that the next empty fit, the, the next empty um, week is like the end of April or something like that. It's bizarre. Um, which is another reason why I found it really, really weird why they, you know, why they cancel the football at the weekend, you know. There's <laughs> not a lot of time to, to rearrange fixtures. So um, I, I wouldn't be very happy if I was an Arsenal fan. Yeah, it's just like another wild card thrown into the season, isn't it? Along with the World yeah. Cup. It's just, you know, you, you don't know how it's going to impact things further down the line. But just interestingly as well, before we get into speaking about Alex Wobie and, and Anana, you know, Sarah, Mick mentioned there that still six games into the season and we haven't got a win. The mood, I'd say, is still generally quite positive around the manager and and this team. Is that something that's, that's bothering you yet? And, and do you think if we don't beat West Ham on Sunday... You know, say we draw or lose that game, and then we're looking at what well, we're probably going into October, aren't we? Before you know, and Everton have picked up a win. Is that something you think that could become much more of a factor than it maybe is now after the weekend if things don't go our way? I mean, this is a, a, a reason why it's just for me so important that we do we do get the win. I mean, if if we were to to draw the game, um, you know, West Ham aren't aren't a terrible side, although at the moment they're having a torrid season. Um, I think I fancy us to do them at home. I think we've been playing well, and I think that's where the positivity's come from. You can look at pretty well every game Everton have played this season. Chelsea at home, we were unlucky not to get anything from that game. Uh, you know, Brent Brent for the way, Leeds away, should have won that game. The Derby, I felt aggrieved that we didn't get three points, although a point I'd have snatched your hand off probably, to be honest, before the game. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of things from Everton that have made me go, yeah, I'm on board with this side. The manager has brought in all the right players. I can't think of a single player that's come in that doesn't improve the squad. I think a lot of the outgoings have been really good as well. And as I say, I've not left Goodison feeling like we've been awful. I think the Forest game was obviously disappointing. Um, but I thought we did well against Liverpool. As I say, I, I was gutted we didn't get a, get a win when you look at the decisions again uh, that had got against us. And it just does seem to be in every single game. So I think... A win on the weekend, and I think everyone feels really quite good about stuff. Defensively, we're looking sound. Anana's bossing it in the midfield. Obviously, you've got Garner come back in. Dom's Dom's going to be, you know, hopefully he'll feature at some point on the weekend. Um, we've got Mopai in there. We've got players that are going to start coming back. So, I think, yeah, if we were to lose on the weekend, you know what it's like. We still wouldn't have had a win after seven games. We'd be sat on four points still, and it, the table doesn't make for pretty reading. And it doesn't for now. But from what I've seen out on the pitch, can we be better? Yes. But I think there's enough there to show that that this is a team. And I, I don't know if you guys agree, but for me, it feels like the most I've been behind a team of players and a squad of players and a manager for a long time. I'm going the game and thinking, yeah, you know what? We haven't won today or whatever. Disappointing. But we're going in the right direction. Um, not saying we're going to set the world alight this season, but I'm certainly not worried right now. 
I think we we've got to we've got to give it a bit more time, get a few players back, let a few players acclimatize, and uh, I think we'll be sound. But certainly everything feels a hell of a lot better after that win, doesn't it? So hopefully we can get it done on on Sunday. Yeah, I mean I echo everything Sarah said there, Alan, and you know I, I I'm feeling like that. I'm feeling positive. I feel like I like a lot of the lads. I feel like I, I like the manager. I feel like they're going in, in the right direction. But I just wonder how how brittle that feeling is in the sense that how, how much longer can it last for if Everton don't win a football match, if you get what I mean. You know, can, can this go on past the international break and then Southampton away after that and then whatever game we've got after that? It's As much as we can all sit here and say we can see things, you know, and Everton are passing the eye test a little bit at the moment, I'm not sure we can keep saying that if Everton aren't getting a win by the time we get into October in the Premier League. I think it's a tricky one, to be fair. I think that... um. I agree with what Sarah's saying. I do actually like a lot about this group of players, especially what they've shown the last few weeks in terms of the character, the kind of buy-in they're having. There's good characters there who I think we can identify with and we can see are doing their very best and the coach is doing his very best. He's not approaching his position with arrogance at all. He's working hard. He's putting everything into the job, everything into the club. We can see that plain as day. So I think nobody can kind of, you know, take umbrage with that. But the question marks are around the quality of the team the ability to win matches and the ability of the coach to not be outcoached. And for me, the derby was a great afternoon. I really felt positive afterwards, but I felt less positive after watching Napoli tear them to shreds, tear them to shreds. Like the way they played against them. Maybe they, we got to play like Kavaritskelia, you know, we had some I like... Know, but they, they could have been, been 6-0 up at halftime. Like it, it looked like they had taken some sort of like the, maybe the remember the Spurs Arsenal kind of spaghetti gate in Tosin. It looked like that genuinely. They were awful. Like so, that kind of maybe lessened a bit for me. Um, and I still don't feel like I fear any team in the league. I think that no matter who they're playing, whether it's well maybe not City, but if it's a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a United, even if they're in form, they have the tools to blunt them and to kind of keep them down to maybe get a point. But the problem for me, and it's been this way all season, is that I look at the fixture list and it frightens me every time I look at it because I look at these teams, the middle class and lower class teams, who I would normally be confident of beating and I'm not confident of beating them. Like the likes of West Ham, will we beat them? We could beat them, but I'm not confident of it. You know, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, Brighton, um, Southampton, like these clubs, it's basically a flip of a coin as to whether we can beat them or not. And I, we still haven't seen that this team can win games. So I think that it's not going to be a panic if we go two or three games without winning. But I think there will be a growing realisation that it's going to be a long season. It's going to be a difficult season. And that if we're to go to the next level and be confident of securing mid-table football, going into games, winning, we need Dominic Cavaroon to score goals, basically. We need the striker who can score goals. Like Neil Mopé is hopefully that. I still think he should have scored against Liverpool for sure. Um, but I think that, you know, if we're going to have that confidence that having a striker brings it's imperative for us to feel confident in any way. I feel optimistic, but not confident, that makes sense, because I think having a striker who can score goals is a game changer for a team. It's like Barcelona with Lewandowski, obviously not during the week, but like when you have a striker who you know can score goals, it changes the way you approach games, how confident you are when things aren't going well. And we don't have that just yet. So if Dominic can come back, it would be a huge thing for the team. But um, I think I'm still not confident quite yet that we can kind of, you know, really develop the season and push on the season, if that makes sense. Yeah, making you're obviously massively into the data and stuff like that around this. I mean, obviously there's the eye test and you know looking at in terms of what we're seeing on the pitch and not not being number driven. Do you, do you look at the numbers from Everton so far this season and feel like there's steady improvement going on, 
or is that sort of at odds with the the kind of shimmering positivity that we're all kind of feeling at the moment? I mean, I really don't think you want me to answer that question. We're going to talk about Alex Moby and his great redemption story. That's true. That's true. So we, I can we, can have, we can have a little. Tell you what, you, you give us this really depressing bit about numbers, and then we'll throw straight back to you for the Awobi redemption. <laughs> yeah. And, and to, be, to be honest, before, before we dig into the numbers, I do think it's this fixture that, on Sunday. I, I do think it's quite a bit of a crossroads type fixture, really. I think Everton win. And I think, you know, you wake up Monday morning and I think that the outlook on the season it starts a little bit more positive and then you're looking at it and, that, you know, we've only lost twice in, in the Open 7 games when the reality of, you know, the, the fixtures we are we have had, even though we, we've not won, they, they, are, they are tough games, really, even though I would expect Everton to have more points. Everton lose on Sunday, I do think that the, the, the narrative on social media, especially, I do think that the pressure does start to ramp up, even though I think it's very easy to say that, you know, we're happy to give Lampard time and, you know, that there have been signs. And there have been, even even though, you know, the data is not particularly excellent. I do think Sunday could, is, is, it could be a turning point in, in terms of which way, you know, which way, what fans side, what side fans are on. Um, and I think Everton do need do need the win, and do think Everton need you know a convincing performance for a, for a full game. I think we've seen glimpses, and I think this is probably why that the, the metrics don't match up as as much in terms of what we you know what we think we've seen. And that I think you know you look at the Leeds game f- f- as an example, and, and even the Brentford one as well. I think for the first forty five minutes in both games, I thought we were really good. And in the, the second half, I don't know whether it was a fitness issue in terms of you know fatigue or. Or whether it was just you know the the, the tendency you know you you're playing away from home and you, you know you you got something to to to, to latch on to in terms of being in the lead. Albeit I think I know we were we were winning a hard time against Leeds, weren't we? Yeah, um, and I, I thought we kind of just you know we we retreated a little bit too much and you know we egged them on a little bit. Um, you know, in terms of the the metrics, I won't you know provide you know. Detail because I don't want to, you know, boys or the pressures. But Everton are performing like I suppose probably where most people expected us to be at the start of the season before, you know, a little bit of confidence was got with the signings. You know, you're talking about for most metrics about 14th best, 15th, 16th best. Um, and really, I think that the data shows what you probably expected from a Lampard side that, that we look all right going forward. It's not brilliant and it's, you know, it's still not a massive improvement on. on what we saw under Benitez, especially between you know September and December, but defensively, I do think there are there are frailties. I, I know we look a bit uh, more you know stronger with, with with Cody and Tarkowski, and I do think we're a bit more robust in in, in you know preventing goals, but we are still giving away away chances, and I do fear that especially with no Pickford on Sunday, maybe for a little bit longer. I don't know. I, I thought that. The way that the injury was leaked was a little bit vague. Um, I do fear that we could start to concede a little bit more, but hopefully with, with more pain, Calvert-Lewin, we, we start to score a little bit more as well. Yeah, uh, signing an emergency goalkeeper didn't really bode well for that, did it, um, <laughs> on the week? Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hang fire on that one. But maybe, as, as I said, mate, you know, one of the, the main, well, the main success story we've seen over certainly the past year or, or so with Everton has been Alex Iwobi. Um, probably in a situation now where, despite having signed three midfield central midfielders this summer, signed Alan and Decore two summers ago, 
that Alex Ruby's our first choice central midfielder now. Um, and it was it just I mentioned that feature the club did with him in the week because I just thought it was a real great insight into a lad that just seems completely at ease now, completely relaxed, being an Everton player. And you know, it was hinting that he wants to, to stay here for longer and he wants to, to get a new contract. And it, you know, for all the doom and gloom that we've had at Everton over the past year or two, it's been it's been an amazing turnaround from him. And you know, you wonder where it's going to end and you wonder how how good this lad could be. Nick, yeah. yeah, I was going to throw it back to you, mate. After that, that sorry, sorry. I, I thought you said I thought you said Al's name at the start. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I've not seen the video. To be fair, it's it's. All, I saw that it was half an hour long, and I was like, oh, I'll watch that later. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of him, and I've been since since he first signed. I thought he was a good sign at the time, and it's obviously for for whatever reason, well, for a number of reasons, it, it just didn't work out until until recently, and I think. You know, I'm, I'm quite critical of Lampard, but I do think one of the one of the one of his one of the you know big advantages and one of his main strengths since he's since he's been here is is how he's got the best out of certain players and and you know Awobi's definitely one of them. I think Holgate's another, um, Pickford as well. Albeit I doubt he you know he's firing shots at him you know as a goalkeeper coach, but I do think certain players that have maybe underperformed or or have maybe fizzled out in terms of form have have, have definitely looked. Stronger. I think you mentioned it before in terms of that you, you do start to you have started to like a lot of the, the plays from on a personal level as well. I think you know you can compare that to twelve months ago. I just about got that Brentford away end video out of my head when you know they, they came over and it was just they were just absolutely battered by the away end really. Um, and I, I do think a Wobi was was one of the main you know he was one of the main victims of that. I don't Obi, I don't think he did anything particularly wrong. Anything particularly wrong. I think people saw him as you know an example as to what had gone wrong in the past in terms of Everton's transfer business and and maybe buying players and and then thinking oh what can we do with this player rather than you know the other way around. Um, but but this season in particular. Um, you know, metrics wise, since I'd, I'd like to look a little bit, you know, further back because I think really since Lampard came in, he's been fantastic, but it's a bit skewed in terms of, you know, I forgot really how much he played at wing back last year, which, you know, is quite funny because I think it was barely away under Ancelotti where I think we joked about it. I think maybe that could be his, his main position. And then he played here excellently at the end of last season. But this season, I think he leads us in terms of the vast majority of, you know, key statistics, you know. Progressive passes, passes into the final third. I think he's four for, for tackles and interceptions as well. You know, I think it was Villa and, and Chelsea, the, the opening game, he was more or less a number six. Um, I think he's been fantastic. And I think really the, the best is is yet to come this season in terms of, albeit he's, he's done really well in a, in a central or a, a little bit of a deeper position. I do think you're still going to get the better out of him further forward, you know, just behind um, a striker or just off the, off, off the left or... I think I do think he could be. I think already he's probably you know the the, the prominent vote for for player of the season. Which is even that's mad, isn't it, Sarah? When you think about yeah. where he was, like you know, even eighteen months ago, you know, I think I, I think everyone really I pretty much ripped the lad off, and it wasn't for lack of talent or, or anything like that. It just his head seemed scrambled. You know, who can forget when he put that picture of himself getting on a plane on, on his Instagram? And he got absolutely. You know, dogs abuse for it, and now if he, if he put one up even day before the game this weekend, everybody would be saying, "Well, have a nice holiday, Alex." You know, off you go, lads. You deserved it. It's it's all fine. It's it's just flipped around so quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, I don't think I'm. I'm trying to think of 
other players at Everton that have turned it around in the same way uh, to the magnitude that Alex Iwobi has. And I'm struggling, to be honest. I think, you know, it is... You couldn't go on social media. You couldn't go on Everton Twitter without just endless kind of, you know, abuse towards him. And Iwobi is, is shit written in snow and stuff like that, you know? Like you said, when he's when he was going on, on holiday and that and everyone was dead fuming and he wasn't doing it on the pitch for us. But, you know... It, can't, I don't think it was ever an attitude thing because you look at him and he's just the nicest, the nicest person, hardest working. And to see him transcend that onto the football pitch, is it's just brilliant. And even the quotes that are coming out from him saying, you know, I might not have the Scouse accent, but I'm one of them. I see myself as, as one of Everton and a part of Everton. And, and for us as fans, that's just absolute music to our ears. And we love an underdog story, you know, um, like Mix just said there, I think a lot of it was to do with you looked at Awobi as maybe a, a, a sign of, of what had been going on at the club in terms of, it said, a big, big transfer fee, gone in, brought him in, and it, it just went exactly <laughs> not not how we wanted it to go. So he was always going to be under extra pressure, I think, for the, the fee we paid for him and the expectation and stuff like that. But to see what he has done, the effort, the the talent, what he's what he did in the derby, even to Salah, just sitting players down, just making them look stupid. But as Mick said as well, defensively, he's always getting back, getting a tackle in, getting a block in. And I think there's much more to come from him as well. I'd love to see him start getting a goal or two. Um, but you just love it. You can't help but like the guy as well. So to see him being great off the pitch as well as first and foremost on it. You know, it's it's a really nice thing that's that's come from Everton recently, and something I think that's give everybody a massive boost. And um, yeah, like Mixers as well in terms of Frank Lampard, I think that that that's absolutely one of the main things that he's done. None of us would have foreseen that. I don't think to even have got a Wobi to be a good player for us. But now, as you say, for me, you look at obviously we're missing Pickford, Pickford and a Wobi like straight off the bat, they're their names on your team sheet without question. And who'd have who'd have thought we'd have been saying that? Hey, eh? it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's mad. And, you know, I put on, on Twitter, I think, a couple of weeks ago, Alan, that uh, I think he's Everton's best outfield player now by by quite a comfortable distance. And, you know, I had a few people replying back saying, you know, that's sort of like being the, the tallest to walk, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I, I think the level he's been playing at the start of the season, he's, you know, that shouldn't be any slight on him. He's probably been one of the, among the best central midfielders in, in the league. And that's not that's not hyperbolic. I think his performances, as Sarah and Mick have both said, defensively, on the ball, work rate. He, he is right up there at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you can tell something is gathering pace when the kind of wider world takes notice of it. I think that a lot of you know prominent voices in the UK recognise that he's one of the best performing midfielders in the English game right now. He, he definitely is. It's been a real kind of renaissance. I mean, I never thought that he would succeed as an Evertonian, to be honest with you. I thought that after his first you know couple of years, he was never going to come back, like Sarah said, that he was never going to be... a even a good player for us. But I did always wonder why wasn't he played in central midfield? And I think that in this three-man midfield, you know, the kind of all-African uh, midfield of him, um, Amadou Onana and Idris Gay, it's really well-balanced and I really like a lot about it. And I think that it could give him, you know, as Mick said, even more freedom going forward in the final third. And I think that it could unlock his abilities even further. So, yeah, really impressed by him. I've also, I also really like him as a character. He's, I, think, I remember I think Paddy Boylan did an interview with him um, in the 2019-20 season at some media event and he kind of mentioned that he was a really sound character and even though he was getting barracks of abuse for the months following I remember Paddy would always stick up for him and kind of say yeah but 
it's not he's not what you're painting him to be basically it's this kind of apathetic guy who doesn't give a shit like he's not he's not this flash londoner do you know what i mean he's, he's a different character and he's proving that now he's kind of a quiet character he's not maybe the typical everton hero i know that we like players who are a bit more kind of you know um larger than life shall we say you know kind of quite spiky character he's not that but I do think that he's doing really good service for the team right now. And I think that he is probably the biggest success story of Frank Lampard's management because people love to throw mud at Frank for being a Tory or whatever. But I think you can't argue that he's a decent guy who's completely committed to the team and he's bringing on individual players in a really good way. So, yeah, I'm very happy with Obi. Really like what he's done in the last you know year, but especially the beginning of the season. And I really do think that with Onana and Gay in midfield with him especially, he could take his game to even more new heights. So, yeah, very, very, definitely the best success story of this season for sure. Yeah, I think he, he spoke spoke himself, didn't he, in that interview about his goal against Newcastle and how, you know, his celebration was contrasted to Anthony Gordon's. You know, where he just sort of stands there doing his his classic normal pose, yeah. and Gordon just legs past him screaming, yeah, into the crowd. You know, that's that's the sort of contrast, isn't it, between the two that you mentioned there and what what you know. And Everton will do, and what Alex Iwobi will do, and it's 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 all fine. We love it all. That's just him, isn't it? Like, I mean, we all have different personalities, and I think that if he was to do that when he wasn't performing, then people are going to you know point point the stick at him. That's the culture of our club in many ways. Like, we we pride ourselves on that kind of passion, that kind of emotion. So that can be negative in some ways, but I think if they know you as a character, they know you feel the club. Um, they know you're giving your all for the club. They know you're performing. Then they'll accept different characters. You know what I mean? It's just it's just the way it is. Like different people are different characters. So I think that once now we know the kind of person he is, the way he's playing, the way he's performing, we can accept that. But I think that when the his commitment and his character was a bit more in question in the early years of his career, that kind of thing would have been you know a stick to beat him with, similar to the the playing photo. But yeah, I think we've hopefully moved on to that stage of relationship now with him where. It's all positive, no matter what he's doing. In that sense, you know, there's yeah. trust there, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, alongside him, Sarah in midfield for certainly the last few games has been allowed to. You know, he's not really had any issues endearing himself to the fans straight away. And I'm a doing honor. I think he's he's already universally adored among the Everton fan base. And just loved at the end of the derby when he was just sort of conducting the fans, singing his song, and he just seemed to be having the best time. You know. All, yeah. He's yeah. the opposite. He's the opposite. He's a character that it's easy to love. Do you know what I mean? He's. I think Evertonians immediately loved him. But like everyone in the stands was like, you know, I was absolutely exhausted. You know, trying to catch my breath after Salah had hit the post in the last minute. You know, I saw Jordan Pickford interviewed after the game as well. He was blowing hard despite only being in goal. And then I just seemed to look like he'd been out for a little stroll, having a great time, and just just loving every moment of it. But I mean, what if what if your initial impressions of, of him been so far? Because it it just feels as though you know after that that initial cameo against Villa where we saw how good he is and potentially how raw he is. It, it just feels as though starting games and getting used to the pace of games straight away has really suited him. He's got better and better in every game he's played. Oh, he has. And, you know, when I actually think of the age of him, it kind of astounds me, really. He's just turned 21, hasn't he, I think. And the way he composes himself off the pitch as well and the way he speaks, you've seen him interviewed and stuff, he seems really intelligent, really switched on, really cool character. Um, but on the pitch, as you said, his, his initial cameo against Villa, the first thing almost that he did was give away the ball and, and we've conceded a goal. And you're kind of all going, oh, after all the hype of signing him, straight away after that, he takes us up the other end of the pitch and it results in Luca Dean netting for, netting for us um, 
And it's just gone from strength to strength. Then, as you said, he's starting games, he's controlling games, commanding games. Teams can't can't handle him because of his strength, because of his footballing intelligence. Um, you know, obviously, he did well to recover from Van Dyke trying to break his ankle as well and to play on as he did. Because you could tell he was a bit, he was hurt after that. And I wasn't sure whether he was going to get hooked off or whatever. But he's just taken to it like a duck to water. Um, considering he's only played, what, now four, four games or so for Everton, he can start games. You expect to see him starting games. He's a real heartbeat to that side. And uh, our, our midfield, how many seasons have we been saying that midfield has just been poor and teams are just almost like just slicing through us like a knife through butter. Now we've got a bit of bite to us. And um, I think he he's going to be really at the heart of that. And just as you say, at the end, conducting the fans and giving it the old beating on the chest and loving the Gladys Street. And he spoke about how Frank Lampard had really you know, presented the fans towards particularly towards the last the tail end the last season. The coach welcomes the flares, the the atmosphere inside inside Goodison Park and all that. You could tell he wanted a bit of that and he's loving it. And um when you've got players like that, it's easy to get behind the lads and hopefully a really a big performance from him again on the uh, on Sunday. But just the physique and him everything about him. I just think he's got what it takes. It's easy to say so early on, but he looks like he's got what it takes to be you know, one of the best in the world, especially given the age of him and how he's took to the Premier League. So, yeah, um, a massive a massive highlight for Osonana. Yeah, his presence is ludicrous. Like, I remember when he came on against Forrest, I was like, oh, I can't believe, like, how how massive he is and, like, how, how like, long his legs were and his arm, you know, and the way he just sort of nipped in and took the ball. It was like, it was almost like comedically, but you, but then you, you get used to it and you see the way he gets around the pitch, you see how athletic he is, you see the way in which he reads the game it's, it's such an asset, but I mean, Mick, what, what have you made of him so far, Mick? He's, he's played in a few little different positions as well, hasn't he? I think when he came on against Villa and, you know, he's sort of given a bit more license to get forward, but certainly against Leeds and before Garner came on against Liverpool, he was he was the man sitting deepest in midfield and had to show a lot of discipline in there. And he seems like he can do a little bit of everything. And while we probably don't know his best position yet, that, that versatility, given how young he is, is, is pretty encouraging. Yeah, I think you've been really, you know, really promising start. I think, I think Saturday, last Saturday, especially, was such a mature. And you can tell it, can tell it then. Um, you know, we had a really tough game a couple of days before against Leeds, and like the, the whole players absolutely ran the socks off. And I thought they were going to be, they were exhausted. You could see that, especially with the, with the no changes at Allen Road. I thought. You know the the derby early kickoff in a couple of days times like that the worst possible game for this to be going into I think after you know half an hour we could be flat out um for so for him to then you know step up again play like you've mentioned you know the very quite deep and defensive you know position where in which I really don't think that's probably his game especially not going forward at, at the moment anyway now that we brought in Idrissa Gay. It was really, really impressive. And I think now, like I mentioned then with, with Gay coming in, I do think he's gonna I hope anyway, we'll, we'll we'll get to see him take, you know, another couple of steps up a level. You know, I do think his best football will probably be played in, you know, going into the final third as such, especially in, in terms of what his skill set is at the moment. And, you know, he, he literally only think only turned twenty one less than a month ago. Um He's not played a massive amount of football, so like you mentioned as well, he is raw, and th- there is going to be games where you can where you can evidently see that he's still learning, and he's still learning his own game, and he's still adapting to to the Premier League. I think it was Forrest when he 
when he came on, I think he was pickpocketed straight away, and I think he rugby tackled the player at one point. Um, and I thought, you know, was Villa away. It was only the week before, and it was like, yeah, just just get the ball and you just give and go straight away. Get 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 all the ball. And I think we saw, like, especially with Brentford and then Leeds, I think each performance has got better and better. And I think hopefully now with Gay and, and obviously hopefully move, I do expect him to move further forward. I think we'll see an even better version of them, which which can only be a good thing considering we've all been massively impressed by him so far. Yeah, it is a potentially tasty midfield three that Alan, isn't it? With Garner sitting and a Wobi and you know Anana pushing forward, and then you've got you know Tom Davis. We haven't even mentioned him. He's been playing well when he's been given chances. James Garner's come into the side. The core is back. Alan feels like he's probably seventh choice in there now. You know we have we have got a lot of options in central midfield all of a sudden. Yeah, definitely. I can see it as a six-man roster, really. So starting three of you know Ghana sitting, and then um, Decore, sorry not Decore, of um Awobi and um Onana either side of him, and then if we're playing three in midfield, we hope we are for the rest of the season. Please God, because I think the the back four is a lot more solid than the back five, in my opinion. I think it gives more balance in midfield, all that kind of thing. And then you have a backup of say maybe Garner sitting, and then Davies and Decore as the kind of box to box kind of interior players. And then I think yeah, Alan is definitely surplus to requirements, um, but he's obviously yeah, someone who can fit in when somebody is inevitably going to be injured at some point in the season. Um, but I agree with Mike. I think that. Onana is better in a kind of more advanced role. I don't think he's mature enough yet. And it's normal because he's only a kid, as you mentioned, like to play as that sole midfield pivot in the Premier League. I think he's got too many mistakes in him. And it's not fair to ask him to kind of marshal a midfield at this point in his development. Because I know, as you know, as you spoke to Julian Laurent um, before we just signed him from, um, from Ligue 1. And he was kind of saying that, you know, he is a very talented prospect, but he is very young and he's very early in his development. He made 11 starts in the league last season. So we can't put too much pressure on him too quickly. But like Sarah said, he's shown enough so far this season to be a starter for us and to be an important player for us as well. And I do think having a player on the pitch with that kind of personality and his personality has been evident since the day he signed. I mean, his first video when he signed was very funny. His character is obviously very impressive. He's very articulate. You know, he's obviously lived in several countries, having left Senegal when he was 10 years old. So he's very worldwide, you could say. I think he brings a lot to the midfield, both in terms of attributes, in terms of physical stature and personality as well. So I think he's the key to the midfield in many ways. But I think, you know, having a dress of gay there especially is the game changer. I think that people haven't been heralding a signing the way they should because of, you know, question marks over the LGBT thing or because of, you know, his age or the fact that he didn't play as much football as he has at PSG. But I think we're forgetting this guy is, you know, one of the best midfielders in the Premier League in the last five or 10 years. Like, he's so, so good. And the, what he brings to our midfield is incredible. I think when, you, when he came against Liverpool, you could see how good he was. He was a level above every single midfielder on that pitch, every single midfielder on the pitch. Um. He just has so much about his game and he's only improved by training with Messi and Neymar and Mbappe and Verratti and Leandro Paredes and Vicinho for the last three years. You know, it's it's an exciting signing. So, yeah, I think it's a really well-balanced midfield. I think the fact that the two lads of the Senegalese roots is good because they can kind of, you know, communicate culturally in a way that other players couldn't. And then, of course, you know, it will be obviously his Nigerian heritage too, plays from Nigeria. So it's nice to have that kind of flavour to the midfield. And I think that, all three of them are going to bring something new this season that we didn't have last season because, of course, two of them weren't there and Obi was playing as wing-back or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's a new-look midfield and it's one that I'm really getting behind for sure. The, the really funny thing about Garner when he came on was that I think his first pass, he just 
basically levered it at Mikalenko. And it's like, you're not, you're not playing a PSG now. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that Neymar? Neymar's not going to kill a dead. Like, yeah, but yeah. I think also it has to be taken for, um, into consideration too how happy he is to be here. Like, he's clearly delighted to be here. His missus is delighted to be here. And that's a very valuable thing because a lot of players coming back from Paris to Liverpool to join Everton could be viewed as a considerable downgrade. Obviously, I mean, PSG are playing Champions League football this season. They'll be in the latter stage of the competition. We're dreaming of a conference leagues place but I think he so clearly loves the club and loves being in Liverpool being in the northwest his wife and family does too and that's a massive benefit because he's really embraced his return so I think it's a really positive signing to be honest with you the thing I love about the idea of that three and obviously we've only seen 20 minutes of it really so far is that you know so often down the years we've had midfield and you'd, you'd see a player and you'd say say Gomez for example and it'd be like right when he was good this is you know he's a good player Get him in, get him in the team, but you need player X there to do his running for him, and, you know, to cover for him and fill the gaps that his lack of work defensively off the ball is going to do. Maybe similar to agree with, with Hammers and then with Sigurdsson and even Alan last season, who slowed down significantly since he's been at Napoli. But you look at those three, and there's no, there's no one you really got to carry, is there, from like a physical point of view or a defensive point of view? They're all going to muck in defensively. They're all going to run hard. They all seem pretty tactically switched on. And from that point of view, it's, it's just going to be nice not looking at the midfield going, oh, you know, two lads are going to have to do the running for free there or two are going to have to do the running for one. So that's that's encouraging from that point of view, I think. Um, how do we think it's going to go on, on Sunday then, Mick? It's, you know, West Ham are in action tonight as, as we said, in the kickoff in an hour of play, playing Denmark. Remains to be seen what type of team Moyes plays there, but I think he tends to go quite hard early on in the Europa League, doesn't he? Um Tricky one, but they don't quite look like the same sort of side as last season. They, look, they spent a lot of money in the summer, and to be honest, I've looked at the squad. I'm not entirely sure where. <laughs> you know, I've not really seen many of the new players come to the foyer. Um, Q Paqueta banging in one for 30 yards on, on Sunday, but you know, they, they don't quite look like the same outfits as they have done in the past couple of years. Maybe things just got a, a little bit stale there for West Ham. Yeah, I think I think it'll be difficult. Um, it, I, I'm quietly confident probably because of the fact that we've not played for two weeks. I think you mentioned that before. I, I do think it's done us all a bit of a favour and thinking that, you know, I think we've all kindly put to bed or put to the back of our heads that we've not won six games and now we're going into this home game <laughs> all thinking that we're going to win. Um, but I do think it's probably because we've, we've got to win. And I, I think, you know, I think the circumstances are a bit perfect. We've had, you know, two weeks really to, to work on this fixture. West Ham will have had their focus on 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 the Europa League game. Um, you know, I know it's only Denmark. It, it, it's hardly the, the biggest trek in the world, but it, it does have an effect. You know, playing the earliest kickoff on 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 the Sunday as well. Hopefully, you know, we've got to use that to our advantage. Um, I think we just got to win. Simple as really. Sarah, are you confident to start a show? Still confident after hearing Mick, you know, go through the data and tell us, <laughs> tell us that we're shite and all that? <laughs> no, I, I think absolutely. And, you know, the, the reasons we were just saying, like that midfield and everything, you know, that's been such a problem area for us for so long. And now I, you were talking about James Garner and I thought I was made up. We signed him and I almost forgot we had him. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. Uh, so... No, I think the fact we are at home, the fact West Ham are playing tonight as well, shortly, and as Mick said, it, it's you know it's going to make a difference. It might not be the furthest they could have gone, but it's it's travel, it's always draining mentally as well. 
So we have just had our focus solely on this for the past few weeks. Well, once we knew we wouldn't be playing Arsenal. And I think at home, Goodison Park, on the back of a positive performance, decent result against Liverpool, I think we're, we're all feeling quite good about stuff. I know we've had the injury to Pickford and various things. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is the latest on him, that he, he's in first-team training. You'd expect him to, to feature in some way. I think even just having him in the squad, even if he doesn't start, gives everyone a boost. Because we've been looking so much, thinking, where are these goals going to come from, though? Now you've got Mopai in there, Calvert-Lewin sniffing around. Um, yeah, I, I, I think West Ham have struggled. I think with a bit of fatigue. It's a game that, you know, we we don't want to say must win because we're like seven games in, but it kind of, you know, we haven't won yet. So, yeah, it is kind of a must win. But I'm like, Mick, I think quietly confident. Although those are the ones that get me because whenever I feel like that, I will be leaving going, oh, my God. No, feel, with 2-1 two, two, win for Everton. Take that. It's right. Uh, <laughs> Alan, um, what about you? Made any changes from the derby? I mean, I suppose the one that most people would be looking at is Idrissa Gay coming in for Tom Davis, maybe. But... That could be seen to be a little bit harsh on, on Tom, given how, how well he played in that game, but feels like the obvious one that, that could be made. Yeah, I think Tom is a good player. I think he's kind of divisive in Twitter because, you know, he's obviously a local lad, so there's always the accusations and the scrutiny levered against him because he's never Tony and because he's from the city that, you know, he's given special dispensation because of the fact that he's a scouser or whatever. But I think that, you know, he's a very good role player. He's a good squad player. He does his job very well. I don't think he's ever going to be a Champions League player, um, but he's not a championship player either. I think he's a very serviceable Premier League player who's a very good presence in the squad, who can do a job when needed. But I think that when you have a Drissa Gay, who's a Champions League footballer, available to come in, you bring him in, basically. And I think that Frank was under such pressure that he's not going to be taking Tom's feelings into consideration. I think that Tom will accept that as well. Um, you have to pick the strongest team um, in a game that's important on Sunday. Um, so I think Ghana will start for sure. Um, I, I think... Like, I'm not afraid of West Ham. I agree. I think they've had a poor start to the season. They look a bit disjointed. They made some questionable signings, although I think Lucas Paqueta is a really, really good player. I've watched him for a good few years now when he's very highly rated in Brazil. He's going to be in and amongst the starting 11 in Qatar. Very impressive guy since the days of Flamengo. Um, so I'm a bit worried about him, for sure, because he's the kind of guy who can go between lines. And I think that in our kind of new midfield setup where we don't have a defined pivot because Ghana's going to be coming in there and he's not played to any degree with Tarkovsky and Cody as of yet it could be a bit of miscommunication there so that's the one worry I would have but I think that you know a draw is the most likely result it's not a sexy result it's not an exciting result but it's the most likely for me I think that West Ham are a good opponent for us to face but I'm still not fully convinced we have the firepower to go and win games just yet so because I don't think West Ham will go out of sight I think it would be quite a cagey affair from both sides because both sides would be more afraid of defeat than they are looking forward to win if that makes sense so especially that's a good reason. so yeah I, I don't think we'll lose I think we get a draw and I can see a sneaking a 2-1 win that's a good shout from Sarah but um, I'm not confident about it for sure so I'm not at the level where I go into a game expecting us to win and then being really pissed off for the rest of the day about it when we lose our draw so oh, I would just say a draw but I feel like we could get a win for sure yeah, absolutely. Um, Alan with the self-preservation tactic there. Um, I like, I like that. And um, just very finally, before I let you all go, um, North versus South All Star Game. Are we having that or not? Not for me. Everyone's shaking the head. Alan. Yeah, it's just like listen, it's crazy. I mean, what got me is remember Jesse Marsh. Who our favorite, our new favorite person, who was just <laughs> fighting ten grand today, by the way, which I celebrated when I saw that news. 
you said in interviews like you know to football is ent- streaks he's been fired <laughs> he said football is an entertainment industry at the end of the day i was like no it's not man. you know what i mean like just just leave it alone don't bring in these weird ideas i don't need that kind of thing it just doesn't make sense like I mean, what's next like, you know so not for me not for me like yeah, i no. listen i know you like the super bowl and american sports and so do i but i prefer football personally i prefer the aggressive kind of toxic atmosphere of football games in england that atmosphere that tribalism i don't want it to be an entertainment show with like halftime shows and that kind of thing i hate it when camilla cabello performed for the champions league final i despised it so yeah for me no no north for the south because it's a slippery slope and i don't want to get on the slippery slope i mean just once every team's played four four two Tucked in, socks up to the knees. He did. He did mention, to be fair, what's called. Um, he did mention. Yeah, some sort of um idea like of a playoff. I think he, he was. I think he meant for the relegation, which I, I know they do that in, in in the Bundesliga and quite a few European leagues actually. But I'm not sure on that. But I think maybe you know for like seventh place or sixth place, I do think that would be quite a solid idea. In where you know you could have seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth maybe. I think there's been a few times, maybe not really in, in the last couple of seasons or so, uh, but quite a few times over the last decade, especially where, um, you know, you've got teams from 8 to 14, 15 for the last six, seven games just playing for nothing. Um, and I think if, if you wanted to, to try and solve that issue, I think a playoff for seventh would be quite a good idea. But then make we finish seventh and play off for seventh and not get seventh. That's what would happen yeah, yeah. every year. Add it. Yeah. I mean, like that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in logic, it's a good idea. But like for us, I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. I did think. I did. I did think that, but um, I did think that, but I'm just focused more so on us getting into the top half than seventh at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's our route back. Finish eleventh and win the playoff, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's a no from here. It's all. Or conversely, imagine we get we did a relegation playoff last season and went down after finishing. We finished. That wouldn't be very popular, and I wouldn't like. (laughs) And also, the first because the first team to get relegated from that system, who didn't finish in the bottom three, would kick up a fuss about it. Like, so it's it's just I don't know. I think it's too delicate to bring in because there's too much money at stake. If that makes sense for pretty marginal gains, because I don't think that huge crowds in Indonesia or wherever will tune in to watch. I don't know Burnley play against Leeds. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the season, so. I don't know. I just don't think. I think the Premier League's making so much money. I don't see why you need to tamper with the model. Do you know what I mean? Imagine how horrific a relegation playoff game would be. Like going through how we went last year. Like knowing that you would go down if you lost that game. Like my word. Yeah. Don't know how. I don't know how teams cope with that overseas. But yeah, keep that well away, uh, please, Todd. Um, but we'll leave it there. Uh, cheers to Alan, Sarah, and Mick. That has been your weekly show. I'll be back. Later in the week with all kinds of build to the game against West Ham this weekend. Uh, Subs Weekly is out as well for Blue Room Extra subscribers with Dave, Pete and Mike Diasha. So go check that out if you want a little bit more from us. If not, we'll speak to you this weekend if you're interested in reaction to that game at Park. Have a crack out.
Social Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.